0: phone, please don't use it. I'm just using this to record for our podcast. Uh, And if you ever want to hear the talks, they're all online and they're on iTunes and they're also on uh, Dharma Punks with an XNYC. So So my uh, favorite... My, one of my favorite monks, my uh, guy, I really idolize, Ajahn Suchito, I've been really fortunate to study with him for a long time, and he used this analogy in one talk where, um, when people enter the spiritual life, they try to want to, they have this tendency to want to, um, they have, they want to fix and solve their lives, and they want to do a lot of repair work in their psyche and they want to change their uh, priorities and they wa- and we want a lot of stuff in other words and he said it's a bit like people who are trying to clean up their house while their hands are covered in mud
1: hmm.
0: and what he meant is that um, if your hands are covered with mud anywhere you clean up you'll actually make more messy you won't make any cleaner. And um, what he meant by this is that in work, uh, in our day-to-day lives, there's a kind of mind state that we're encouraged uh, to in um, to live in, and it's a mind state that's about fixing, solving, worrying about the future keeping track of, putting out fires, dealing with, solving. It's a kind of um, mind state that believes that there's something wrong, and we have to get rid of it. We have to deal with it. And so living in this kind of uh, fully trying to fix and solve what happens is, just like somebody with their hands covered with mud, we leave all kinds of mess in our way. Because it's actually that kind of awareness that uh, that creates so much of our suffering and our stress in life. If we go into our spiritual practice with the same agenda, that we go into the rest of our lives, which is, there's something wrong. There's something wrong with me. I've got to improve, fix, solve. The same way we go into work, which is, where's the fire I have to put out today? Where's the issue I have to deal with? Where's the the, the project that has to be attended to? What's the thing that I have to unpack? Then what happens is, we're just adding more and more stress into life. The Buddha said that before it even comes to craving and clinging and um, uh, craving and clinging, there's an underlying form of suffering that happens, a kind of stress, a kind of way we use the mind that. Creates a lot of the uh, anxiousness in our lives and a lot of the underlying uh, agitation. And he had two, uh, he had several words for it. I'm going to talk about two of them, uh, introduce their concepts, and then talk about a meditation that relieves them that I'm very, very fond of. So the first one is uh, the phrase goes tamayata in Pali, the Buddha's language. And what Tamiyata means is uh, there's no direct English translation, but I think it's uh, a a mental tendency that we're all familiar with. It's a little bit like in a movie when a camera zooms in and focuses on one person or one close-up. It's that ability of the human mind to become fixated and obsessed and completely caught up in one issue and not see the bigger picture in our lives. That ability to believe that everything is hooked on, dependent on, completely... Relying upon one thing going our way or else we're totally screwed. When we wake up in the morning, the first thing often we just see is a field, the ceiling above us, we're in a room, we feel the bed, you know that we're in, just being. And then you can often feel your mind contracting and closing in around... <gasps> <laughs> oh, I forgot. I don't know where I'm going to make the rent this month. <gasps> I forgot. I you know, I'm having that argument with my roommate. <gasps> I forgot. I hate my job. <gasps> I forgot. And so we feel the mind going from this spacious <coughs> openness to this shrinking, collapsing it it this what the Buddha meant by Tamiyata. The literal word Tamiyata is to make the mind turn into something smaller, to make mm-hmm. it shrink and compact around something. One monk I sat with described it as a uh, cellophane wrap that can at first be you know clear and big, but then you wrap it around and it just clings and wraps around an object. And that's what the mind can do. We can move very quickly, from a place of open, expansive awareness to an awareness that becomes fixated on just one small element of what's going on in the present, one small part of our lives, one drama, one issue, one detail. Sometimes it can be an object. As I was using the example last night, uh, you go to a party... And you're, you walk into the party and you take in the sound. It's very loud, the people are laughing. There's a, a, you know, a lot of uh, sensations, there's a lot of people. And then you spot your ex. <laughs> and suddenly what happens? The entire party goes away. <laughs> they all blur and the sounds become muted. <coughs> and the mind focuses in like a, a sniper's you know you know scope you know then what the fuck are they up to yeah. what are they doing yeah. yeah you oh yeah and we can follow and then whatever anybody else is saying to us, it's all like we're just In that. And this this contraction, this collapsing of the mind, the Buddha said in Tamiyata, is one of the greatest sources not only of stress in our life, but it also creates the greatest uh, reactivity. When we shrink the mind around an issue in our life, a perception, a worry, a concern, it almost immediately becomes something we have to do something about. If I have a number of stuff and I'm aware of good things and aware of all the stuff that's available to me in the pre- the present, and I have a uh, you know, a bill I have to pay, or a conversation I have to eventually plan or something I have to address, that's just something that can be there. I don't need to fix or solve it right now. I don't, need to, um, I don't need to come up with a solution. Sometimes I can just wait for the solutions to arise in and of themselves. But if I allow my mind to collapse around a single issue, I've got to do something about that. It's all I'm aware of. It's right in my face. It's there all the time. We've all, I think, had that happen where there's uh, that thing that triggers us and suddenly we're aware of nothing else. And very often we're set up. These The things that the mind collapses around are set up in our childhoods. In my case, I grew up with a very... Um, very uh, secure relationship with my mother, who was very giving. But my dad was a a violent violent drunk and uh, very inconsistent. And so when I have to have conversations with other men, uh, especially conversations where I don't know how they're going to play out, I can feel my mind shrink around the story. And it starts to rehearse. Have you ever had that? Rehearsing conversations? Mm-hmm. Then I'm going to say this. And he's going to say that. And I'm not going to like that at all. And then I'm going to have to say this. And then he's going to say that. And we're going like, fuck fuck to another time. All right, I'll say this. Ha ha. Ha ha. That's what I'll say. Oh, shit. But then he's going to. So we can't let things go. We become set up because we don't think our needs are going to be met, so the mind is set up to fixate on it, shrink around it, and then it becomes something that we become very reactive. Avoidance comes up. How can I avoid this? How can I get rid of this? The more there are certain things that we can't, um, that we shrink around, we want to get them out of our lives. You ever have like a part of your personality that you wish you didn't have? Part of my when I speak in front of people, I get anxious. Well, if we allow the mind to collapse around the symptoms of anxiousness—the heart racing, the the feeling of the throat, the the, the sensations of anxiousness—then it's going to be debilitating. And then we're going to want to figure out how to get rid of it. Ah, I just need to have a few shots before I go on stage. It will all be all right. We, we, we want to drink to get rid of it because we've allowed the mind to collapse and focus on the thing that makes us worried. So, obviously what I'm getting at is that there's another strategy. That this very tendency of collapsing around creates the reactive need to avoid, get rid of, and very often the things that we try to get rid of or avoid, we can't really avoid, we can't get rid of. They're parts of life. The things that we uh, become fixated on, there's nothing we can do about, or they're just parts of our human emotional palate. Now, the second part of the of this uh, quality of mind that causes uh, so much distress is called, the Buddha called sana and he meant, uh, it literally means the way we perceive things, but literally what sana means is that we tend to make judgments about things, very, very simple judgments, and then we tend to constantly refer to each thing in our life according to those original judgments or labels, good, bad like, dislike you ever eat, you once eat like a kind of food and you didn't like the taste of it and from then on somebody says hey, you want to have some Brussels sprouts? you're like Hoo-hoo-hoo. because once we had Brussels sprouts didn't like the taste now it's, it's in the I don't eat that shit column of life <laughs> So we have a tendency to, just on single experiences, put a very simple like, don't like, good, bad. And we really believe in these labels very, very strongly. You have an interaction with, uh, I was once talking with somebody and they, um, they got a, uh, uh, one of those transit cards, Metro North. Not metro, the, uh, subway cards and they tried to they put like five dollars in and the, the card didn't work so they went to the token clerk and the token clerk said well you have to send it in to the city I can't give you the money back and they, they came to me and they were like that guy was a fucking fascist he was a fascist now we think about that
1: <laughs>
0: this was a limited single interaction that guy the fascist might actually be a very hard working guy with a lot of children he might have to go home after being a token clerk he might give send all of his money to his family somewhere else he might live with somebody who's very sick that he takes care of but we believe based on a single interaction that we have Basically, you can categorize, close off, limit, resign, uh, demarcate things as good or bad, and then we continually return and rely on these labels. And these labels create so much stress as well. Because if every time you label something as bad, that thing's going to still be your life and you're not going to want to reinvestigate it and re-examine it and reopen to it and look at it from a unbiased point of view. If every time it arises it's going to be something that you're going to want to avoid, well we're kind of fucked, right? Yet the mind has this tendency because from a well from a perspective of the way we lived out in the jungle in the Serengeti 50,000 years ago, it made sense to come up with snap judgments about animals, peoples, places, and avoid them from then on. The brain was set up to survive first and ask questions later. Of course, this kind of snap judgment no longer serves us as the dominant species in the planet, but the mind still has this tendency to fixate around anything that any situation where it believes its needs won't be met, and to be, make snap judgments that it will continually rely on. The Buddha said that the most stressful snap judgment we make in life is what we determine relates to us and everything else. We have a kind of category of what's about me and what's not about me. For instance, we have these things we call reputations. You ever notice that? Are they talking shit about me? <laughs> Did they say something about me? Are they talking shit about me? Well, you're not really there, right? You weren't there. So what were they talking about? Well, they were talking about me. Well, you, but you weren't there. Well, they were talking about my name. Okay. So we have this sense that we are out there in the world, even in places we're not, where people can talk about us, and that we have to manage that, as well as manage what's here. And we have to take all that personally. So the more we break down issues, events, into this is about me, the more we have to own control, we have to worry about, manage... And the stuff that is not about me, we can forget about. If you have a thought in your mind that's a depressed thought, and you say, oh, today I had a depressed thought. Not so bad. We all have depressed thoughts. We're human beings. But if you add, I'm depressed. That's my thought. That's who I am. There's something wrong then that same thought becomes something that's creating an enormous amount of suffering for you. Simply because you've owned it. You said it's mine. It's not something that happens to everyone. It's not something that's indicative of the entire human experience. You said there's something about me that's depressed. There's something uniquely mine about those depressed thoughts. We all have certain thoughts and and inclinations and uh, feelings, impulses that we let go, that we assume that everybody else has. And so we don't take them particularly personally. You know, we all have times where we feel uh, worried, or uh, and we say, well, it's normal, I was worried about this, and then we don't get fucked up about it. But then there's certain things that we have, certain experiences emotions feelings that we think that are particularly ours and those are the ones that are really going to cause the struggle i can tell you from many many years of working with people there comes a time when somebody will always tell me uh, reveal something that they've never revealed to anybody else First this started happening when I was in sobriety, and we do these things called fist steps. And then it started years ago when I started doing one-on-one mentoring work with people, and people would say, Oh, there's one thing that, you know, that that just makes me monstrous. That horrible thing that if other people could see, they wouldn't like me. That one that thing I've done, that feeling I have, that that Memory, that experience that makes me unique, that makes me ununderstandable, that's mine. And when you get them to share it, it's always the most vanilla, disappointing mm. thing. It's like, oh, really? I was so hoping that you'd killed somebody. <laughs> it's always, I stole money from my grandmother. <laughs> really? <laughs> and what what I begin to see is that it really has nothing to do with the, th- the shit we've done. It really has nothing to do with it. It's the quality of saying something is mine that I can't share that creates that feeling that there's something wrong, that feeling that there's something dark, that feeling that there's something about ourselves. And that to the degree that we are revealing and open about it that we achieve lightness and we achieve that feeling that there is nothing wrong. It all, though, boils down to these very simple perceptions. This is mine. It's unique. It's not. Nobody else knows this. Once we add that to a feeling or an experience and we decide that we can't share it. It's not safe. We won't. People won't understand us. That concealment is what causes so much suffering and so, so much uh, distress in life. The Buddha referred to this: uh, these two factors of shrinking in and labeling, fixating and perceiving things in terms of good, bad, me, you right, wrong, uh, personal, not personal, in terms of uh, the words Nama Rupa. Nama Rupa is basically the Buddha, uh, it's a category of suffering that arises, that creates our personality. It's uh, an unconscious, underlying tendency, the things that activate us, and then the things that create a sense of good or bad, threat, non-threat those simple labels and the things we fixate on, the Buddha said, create the core of our personality. And interestingly enough, there's a lot of psychologists today who talk about the right hemisphere of the brain is doing just that. It has no language, no narrative, no rationality, but what it does have is very, very simple things that activate it and make it either feel frightened or concerned, safe, or unsafe. And that's what your right hemisphere is doing behind the scenes. It's breaking down everything in terms of these very simple emotional experiences. So the goal of this practice uh, that I'm going to teach is to try to create a mind state that radically... um, Opens up the way we relate to life from a different perspective, and uh, and what I'm trying, to, what I'm going to try to get you to do is neurally rewire your brain
1: <laughs>
0: away from its survival instincts to fixate, get caught up, get hinged, worried, hooked, baited, uh, you know, caught up in, and instead to create a mind state that allows life to play out in a larger field that we can permit, allow, without needing to uh, to fall into that tendency of believing we need to fix, solve, or do anything. The Buddha called this atamyatā, and it literally means an awareness that doesn't um, get involved, that permits life to be as it is without needing to um, shrink, collapse, fixate, obsess. It can hold all of life. And it can hold every impulse and every experience without needing to get rid of anything. It's a radically different approach. Very often when we are... um, We all come into uh, spiritual programs... With something that we want to get rid of. There's some feeling in there we want to get rid of. We want to get rid of our anxiousness, our fear. We want to get rid of our, uh, the feeling that we're um, uh, not funny, unattractive, that we're unlovable. Whatever it is, there's something that we want to sh- shed. We want to get rid of. And this practice is about cultivating an entirely new relationship, uh, creating a awareness that can hold all of the human experience without needing to disown part of ourselves. It turns out that when they, generally the parts of ourselves that we find the most difficult, they're the ones that were the least tolerated in our childhood by our caretakers. And so when they come up in ourselves, we tend to once again try to push them down. We try to do the exact same rejection uh, we try to we do in essence what was done to us years earlier. And what this is about is creating a safe container where that all of your human experience can arise without you needing to feel Compelled to hide, run away, or get rid of. Uh, The Buddha said, by developing a spacious mind, one rises above the normal kind of equanimity, which is based on fixating on single objects. This is a real transcendence, the Buddha says. It's an equanimity that comes from a mind that doesn't break down things into dualities, what we talked about, the perceptions. It's an experience of infinite space, consciousness. It can contain all of life. And then he says it's a state of neither perception or non-perception, which means we're aware of things, but we don't have to do anything about them. We don't have to fixate. We don't have to keep track of, solve. Part of um, Atamiyata is breaking the mind of its habits to fixate on ideas and people and objects and to also get it to just take in everything that's present, including the space around us, the lesser senses, like the feeling of what we're sitting on, the senses of just being alive. The more we add into awareness, the more we can hold The stuff that causes us suffering, that causes us sadness, that causes us distress. It's not about any more getting rid of anything, but about keeping the mind so spacious, so open, so vast, that even the difficult issues of your life, when it arrives, you can allow it. You can allow these impulses, these fears, these feelings that we don't like, everything can arrive, arise because they're in a spacious mind that won't fixate. The Buddha said, uh, I'll close before I leave the meditation, the Buddha said um, that if you pour a teaspoon of salt into a cup like this, The cup becomes undrinkable. You can't drink the water anymore. It's too salty. But if you pour that salt into a reservoir, you can still drink the water from it. This is what we're talking about. If you think of the salt as being the parts of your life that are unresolved, that you don't like, the issues you're facing... If you view them just without a larger perspective, then yes, you've got to do something about the roommate you don't like. You've got to immediately fix and address the the uh, whatever emotional issues that are arising. But if we instead approach it from a place of spaciousness, we learn how to create a safe container. And when we don't run from the things that challenge us, suddenly we find we can address them in far, far more skillful ways. Mm-hmm. So find a comfortable seated position. You you? Sure, if the door of you is the door... Uh, All right, so for this meditation, you don't have to sit absolutely rigidly still. Uh, But it is important to sit quietly so you don't disrupt your neighbor. So try to find a comfortable position that you can sustain. If at any point during the meditation you do need to reposition yourself, just try to do that in a way that's very... uh, mindful of the people around you so that you don't create noise, disruption. Just do it very slowly and think ahead to how you want to reposition the body. So this meditation could be done with your eyes open, but my tendency is to believe that when we keep the eyes open, we become very fixated by objects around us and so I tend to find this meditation more uh, useful with the eyes closed. If you do want to keep your eyes open, that's fine though. Just try to look at something at the ground so that you're not focusing on any objects and then So try to start first with the sounds of the room. Try to hear the sound that's the furthest to the right. What can you hear that sounds the furthest to the right? And then what can you hear that's the furthest sound to the left? Can you hear something that sounds like it's directly above? something that's directly below try to keep this frame of sounds to keep the mind as spacious hearing as far to the left as far to the right creating a sense of openness and then feeling the very top of the body Sensations at the very top. And then feeling all the way down to the seat, connecting with the floor, your legs, buttocks, feet. Feeling the leftmost part of the body, the arm, elbow, left leg, and the rightmost, feeling of the clothes, And for this meditation, it's important to try to let go of the tendency to visualize how you look. It might be challenging at first. When we feel into the body, there's a tendency at first to not just feel the actual sensations, but to visualize what we're feeling. But try to put aside the visual component, and there'll be a reason for that, and just feel the sensations of the body, beginning to scan up and down noting areas of tension whether it's in the belly or the forehead areas that feel liquid the stomach maybe or areas that feel very solid perhaps in the back sensations of heat tingling and pulsing all the sensations of that let you know you have a body. And then into this field bring in also the contact sensations, the feeling of the floor, the feeling of clothes, On your skin, the feeling of the arms on the legs or the sides of the arms against the torso. all of these sensations and the sounds in the mind each time the mind starts to want to become fixated on something, just keep adding in the sounds the body sensations the contact and then there's a part of the mind lobe of the brain that keeps track of the space around the body constantly the way we breathe and slightly move the body the mind is actually mapping the space around us so see if you can almost feel beyond the space in front the space behind, feeling the emptiness, the nothingness directly around us, a sense of the emptiness above the head, the solidity of the ground beneath our legs. Allowing the mind to begin to inhabit this large space, not just positioning itself behind the eyes, but see if you can begin to ask, what would it feel like if I could bring my awareness into all these sensations that are going on Everything you're aware of is occurring inside of your mind. Your awareness doesn't have to limit itself to any part, any small area. See if we can let go of that feeling of inside and outside and just have everything that we're aware of Just know it is happening in the mind. No inside or out. No division between self or other. It's all occurring in the mind. The feeling of the breath that movement, that tidal waves of inhalation and then the waves receding from the shore of exhalation can we add that awareness in keeping the contact sensations and the body sensations of heat and cold and comfort and discomfort and the sounds the sounds from the left and the right and above and below and can we add in now awareness of the lights that flicker behind the eyelids or the images that appear and disappear in the movie screen of the mind just allowing them to be there too there is the mood of the mind. Is the mood relaxed, tired, energetic? Is the mind moving or is it settled? Does the mind feel open and spacious or does it feel like it constantly wants to collapse around a thought, a feeling, So what I'd like you to do is to bring to mind while you keep the mind spacious with all the sounds and body sensations the awareness of the breath contact sensation the feel of space around the body bring to mind the memory of something that's triggered you late that's created a little bit of concern an issue you're having with someone a conflict something that causes worry just hold that image in your mind don't repeat the whole story just uh, Perhaps the most telling (coughs) image. You might even want to create a little bit of an emotional response by just asking yourself, how does it feel? So that you activate a bit of the feelings associated with this event or this interaction or this worry. The goal is to keep the mind as spacious and open and welcoming, compassionate, allowing, receptive not needing to fix or solve anything cultivating the belief that there's nothing wrong with right now there's nothing wrong with anything in you There's nothing you need to get rid of. And just allowing whatever emotions and feelings, even difficult emotions and feelings to arise, and just keeping the mind spacious and open, as vast as the sky that can hold any kind of cloud, allowing everything to pass through. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing that needs to be done. Can we be aware of the space between thoughts, the silence between sounds, the hollowness between sensations in the body? This meditation is about being with, rather than doing anything about it. Just being with, being with everything. Nothing to fix, nothing to solve. Everything is permitted. So as we begin to make the transition from the meditation, why you keep the mind spacious, hearing the sounds, feeling the body, the contact with the ground, the feel of space around the body, awareness of the mind, just add in a sense of acknowledgement of your spiritual practice the world is filled with people who will try to get their happiness by consuming by owning, accumulating, competing over the limited resources if you have a spiritual practice in your life where you're cultivating ease that's not reliant on material accumulation, competition. You have something that's adding such a spiritual, positive and beneficial domain to your life. It's utterly blameless, a spiritual practice. There's no side effects. and yet, we still have to be the ones to reward ourselves for our efforts because the world around you will not. take just a moment to acknowledge the virtue of your practice. It's not just for your benefit, though it's very beneficial It's also for the benefit of all beings. And when you're ready, you can open your eyes. So I'll just conclude by saying that In the last days of the Buddha's life, he gave a talk and he was asked what kind of practice did he engage in. And he didn't actually say the normal, what one might expect. He didn't say breath meditation or vipassana or uh, he didn't say even um, metta. He said, I reside in the open spacious mind and that's where you were residing it's the most advanced practice the Buddha had and it's the practice that allowed him to hold all of the pains in his 80s when his body was failing and all of the difficulties and the worries that might have arisen who was going to maintain the spiritual path all of it he used this meditation To hold his life. So I humbly offer it to you. Gonna
1: turn off this.